Stranger Rangers. This is Bree. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Let's get into this, guys. Um, if you listen to part one, I'm sorry. And <laughs> get ready for part two. Put on your... Uh, Put on your biggest pair of pants and fasten them tight because it really doesn't get a whole lot better than what we talked about in part one. But That's, just for a little recap, yeah. Um, Paul Bernardo is a giant piece of shit. <laughs> Carla Homolka is an equally big as piece of shit. We unfortunately talk about the assaults that Paul had committed as the Scarborough rapist. They still have not discovered that he is the one that is the Scarborough rapist. And then we covered the unfortunate assault on Carla's youngest sister, Tammy, who was only 15 years old at the time and everything that they did to her taped. And then the aftermath of all of that. And now for part two, <laughs> if, if the recap didn't already stress me out. Yeah. Enough. I mean, hopefully you listen to it. If you haven't stopped, Go back. Yes, you need to listen Go to Go back and one. listen to part one and, you know, give it a chance because although you're like, oh, I've heard this story before, maybe in other podcasts, first of all, Bree's doing a kick-ass job at covering it. Um, and we're talking about it as we go on uh, because we like to call out people on their bullshit. Yep. And <laughs> when they're asshole or dumbasses or just sicko bastards... We like to talk about it. Absolutely. Yep. Expose them for yes. who they truly are. Absolutely. Okay, guys. So, okay. I'm mentally ready. Yeah. We had a, we took a little break. We're both yeah. recording today. We did a little palate cleanse. Got to look at my cute baby. Yes. And. American Idol was a good palate American cleanse American Idol was a great palate cleanse. And so. now we're going to get into the nitty gritty stuff. Great. So, after. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so after Tammy Homolka, we are going to meet a young woman who is forever and only known as Jane Doe. On June 7th, 1991, this is allegedly um, two years before, so two years before Carla had worked at the vet clinic, she was working at that pet store, right, in high school. Mm -hmm. And she had befriended a young girl at the time who was 15 years old. And like I said, this girl would only be known as Jane Doe in their trials. She does come up when they they go to court later on. And I think that her identity is completely kept um, under wraps because of how young she was and to protect that. Sure. And her and her family and all of that kind of stuff. So Carla had invited Jane out on a girl's date and then asked if she wanted to come back to her house and have some drinks. So, I mean, how many times have we done that? You know, let's go shopping. Let's have a girl's day. Yeah. Again, kind of similar to the Tammy situation. Like this is this young girl hanging out with a girl, a couple, a few years older than her, like, you know, probably just feeling like so cool and like what an awesome day. And now I get to go back to her house and like have some drinks with her. Sure. This is awesome. Get to hang out the whole day. Exactly. So they get back to the house and this is the house that her and Paul now have in Port Dalhousie. Okay. 
And Carla spikes her drink with a sedative, and when the girl passed out, Carla gives Paul a call and um, tells him that she has a surprise wedding gift for him. Oh, my God. Because, again, what does the most loving, significant other get for somebody other than a young girl to assault and humiliate? What a terrible human. Such a terrible human. So when he arrives, they undress Jane Doe, and Paul videotaped Carla raping her first. What the fuck? Carla is now full-blown in on all of this. It is no longer just Paul leading the assaults and being the only right. one doing all of this. She she is involved. I mean, yeah, she's setting it up. She's sedating her, the person. Yep. And then participating. So, and, and if you don't know this, it's okay. Is she using stuff to rape them? I believe so, as well as she's performing oral sex on these girls. Oh, my God. And that is a bulk of what she unfortunately had done to her sister. No. And they do talk the details of that in that transcript that I talked about in part one. It's fucking disgusting. Oh All God. to just make Paul happy. You know, I'm obviously she's she's getting off on this Not too. Right. But it sounds like she got on that train. And exactly. Like, Let's do it. Fuck. So okay. so awful. So Carla takes the lead on this and then Paul rapes Jane Doe. So the next morning when Jane Doe woke up, she was throwing up and feeling awful. She had stayed overnight at Paul. And Carla's place. Sure. And she was so young at the time. I think it was one of her first times ever drinking alcohol. And she just chalked up feeling like shit to a hangover. Oh, no. Poor thing. Now, this would not correlate with what I had kind of talked about at the end of part one, where it's believed that part of their um, motivation for killing some of these young women being that they could identify both of them. So this girl, fortunately enough did not meet her fate with this assault that took place. Because obviously she knew who Carla was. She was unconscious at the time that I don't think that she was able to identify Paul. Right. She just kind of woke up the next morning feeling like shit, was like, oh, wow. So maybe Gnarly hangover. Right. So maybe when she woke up, she was like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, you drank too much. And she believed them, and they saw that she believed them, so they... Let her live. Yeah, they're wow. like, oh yeah, you were really fucked up last night. Oh yeah. And she yeah. didn't question that. No. Wow. Not at all. So she was invited back to their house again oh, a second God. time the following August, and they did the exact same thing to her again. Only this time, Jane Doe stopped breathing after Paul started <sighs> raping her. Carla went to go call nine one one. But then she called back a few minutes later to say that they didn't need an ambulance anymore because they were able to revive her. And so the ambulance never came out. No one ever followed up on the phone call, which is super uncommon, at least in the United States. Like if you you make a call to 911 and they can pin your location, like someone's coming out regardless, even if you tell them you don't need somebody anymore. Well, sometimes if you mistake call them and you don't pick up, Again, to tell them, hey, it was a butt dial or something. Exactly. Then they're going to at least send someone to check the scene Do a wellness check. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, Jane Doe ended up surviving this again. Oh, shit. She did actually start breathing again. They they did revive her, and she survived, and they never encountered her ever again. 
Wow. I know. This girl got always so, so lucky. Yeah. So her name's probably Jane because she survived and they didn't yes. want... Gotcha. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. They were protecting her identity because she's alive. Exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think that they didn't want to put her through all the media once sure. all of this shit hit the fan and became very widely publicized. So one of their next victims, which is one of their most well-known, is a girl by the name Leslie Mahaffey. So as we know, Par- or Parla... <laughs> Parla. That's their that's their Benifer yeah. Yeah. <laughs> name. Um, as we know, Carla and Paul had obvious goals of collecting more victims. I mean, Carla even says in the fireside chat, you know, I want to do this for you every week and get you all the virgins that you want. And on June 15th, 1991, Paul was out driving early in the morning. And when I say early in the morning, I mean like middle of the night, like 2 a.m., not like yeah, four or five o'clock sure. in the morning. It's still really early. Though. <laughs> it is really early. And then the, this is through an area called Burlington. This was about halfway between Toronto and St. Catharines. And he was out driving around at this time because, you know, he has that really cool job of smuggling cigarettes. And oh, he was looking right. for license plates to steal so that he oh, could put them sure, on cars sure. to get back and forth across the border and not yeah. be identified. And at this point, he comes across 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. Oh she had come home late past her curfew after attending a funeral. And she obviously had um, a history of doing this because this particular night, and I'm sure the parents just absolutely will never forget forgive themselves for this, um, when she came home after curfew, she found that her parents had locked her out of the house to oh, teach her a lesson. Oh, my God. She did not have a key. She was trying to wake her parents up, and she was locked out of the house. Now, there's a little bit of mixed information on this, but Bernardo did approach her, and it's debatable whether she asked him if he had cigarettes or if he offered them to Mm. her. But nonetheless, either way, he approached her. And I'm like, 2 o'clock in the morning, if I'm 14 years old, I would be like, A, I wouldn't be approaching some random dude. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Probably, I would like to think I wouldn't sure. have. Yeah. Um, but if someone was approaching me outside my house at like 2 o'clock in the morning, I would be freaked the fuck out. I'd be like, get the hell away oh, from me. Oh, this is right outside her house. Yes. So she didn't like start wandering off after no. her parents talked her out or Mm-mm. anything. She was like trying to find a way into her house. Of and course I- it is because he likes going up to your fucking house and doing this. Exactly. Oh, God. So he was eventually able to get her in his car where he blindfolded her and whisked her away and took her back to him and Carla's place. So he gets inside and he informs Carla that they have a new playmate. And Carla and Paul once again videotape their whole assault. This time they were listening to the ever so relaxing tunes of Bob Marley and David Bowie, which I just was like ruined after this because I love Bob Marley and I'm like, great. Oh my God. No. Don't worry. Don't stop. Stop. About a thing. Yeah. Like what the fuck? I hate you guys so, so much. Oh, that's awesome. Awful. And at one point during all of this, Paul says to Leslie, you're doing a great job, Leslie, a damn good job. The next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect. The fuck? I know. And Leslie was still blindfolded and bound with twine while they raped and sodomized her. 
Leslie told Paul that her blindfold was slipping, and this would have given her the ability to identify them both. Right. She had already seen Paul when he grabbed her, but now with her blindfold slipping, she's gotten a look at Carla. And this is when they killed her. Paul said that Carla gave her a lethal dose of sedatives, but then Carla, on the flip side, said that Paul strangled her with an electrical cord. They put her body in the basement of their house, and because they are two of the most disgusting people alive, they had family over for a Father's Day dinner the following night while Leslie's body just laid in the basement. Oh my god. I cannot even... You're over at your kid's house for this nice celebration, and unbeknownst to you, there's just the dead body of a 14-year-old girl laying in their basement. Oh, my God. It's like the telltale heart. It's fucking terrible. I know. So after the family leaves, they realize at this point that they need to dispose of her body some way, somehow, and they decide the best way to do this was to dismember her and encase all of these parts in cement. What the fuck? Yeah. So... That's what, that's the best they can, what? That's the best that they can come up with. And so they go and they get, they get all of their supplies and it's exactly what they did. And they made several trips to drop all of these pieces in Lake Gibson. This was just south of Port Dalhousie. And eventually Leslie's body would end up being discovered. There's a bunch of different versions by who found her. It's like, oh, a couple or two guys or whatever. But from what I found, it was a father and son that was out fishing one day. And this was on June 29th, 1991. This was the same day that Paul and Carla got married. (laughs) Leslie's body was discovered. How the universe would... Yeah, have those two (laughs) events meet up is just absolutely crazy. And she was, they were able to identify Leslie's body because of like some of her orthodontic pieces. Okay. She had braces. Um, yeah. On their wedding day, that part just like totally boggles, not just like June 9th of another year, but the exact day of the wedding one of their victims gets discovered. And at this point, they haven't found anybody yet, and they move on to their next victim. And this is a young lady by the name of Kristen French. On April 16th, 1992, Carla and Paul were on the hunt for their next victim, and they pass Holy Cross Secondary School, and this is when they encounter Kristen French in the parking lot of a church. Now, they had kind of moved into this um, system of Carla approaching these girls because, you know, it's a woman approaching a woman. like. Right. You don't even think twice about that. It's way less creepy than a twenty-something-year-old approaching these high school girls. You know what I mean? Just innately, just feel less dangerous. Exactly. And this would also be a unique abduction because it it took place in broad daylight, like right in the middle of the day after school got let out. And so Carla got out of the car with a map, and she approached Kristen like she was lost, and she was. Trying to find her way down uh, around town. And so Kristen's all distracted. She's looking at this map that Carla's showing her. And that's when Paul grabbed her from behind and put a knife to her and forced her into the front seat of the car. And Carla sat behind her with a hold of her hair, making sure that she didn't go anywhere. Oh, my God. 
Kristen's commute home, you know, school had just got let out and her commute home was very quick and predictable. Like she, she worked like clockwork, you know? Okay. And soon after she was supposed to be home and she wasn't, her parents absolutely knew that something was wrong. Good. Like Kristen is usually home by this time. No questions asked. And so Niagara Regional Police uh, service assembled a team and they got multiple witness statements and even found Kristen's shoe from where she had been taken. Like this was in broad daylight. People saw this abduction happen and they had even, I'm trying to remember the details of this. They had gotten a description of the car from one of the witnesses. I believe she said that, um, the car was like a gold Camaro or something like that. So they're on the hunt looking for this gold Camaro around town when it was like a gold colored, a gold or a beige colored Nissan. Oh, first of all, (laughs) two very different cars. A Camaro to a Nissan. So it's really unfortunate that that detail was not accurate because, you know, they wasted a lot of time looking for this car that it it wasn't even. So they have Kristen. And when they got home, Kristen was videotaped being tortured, raped, and sodomized and being forced to drink large amounts of alcohol. And they would keep her alive and repeat this all throughout Easter weekend. Oh, my God. Now... They obviously have a thing for holidays. I'm just going to go ahead yeah, and just... throw that out there. I mean, Tammy was on like Christmas Eve. Leslie was Father's oh, Day weekend. Shit. And yeah. now this is happening on Easter weekend. I think that that's just probably a weird coincidence. But yeah, you know me and my holidays Jesus Christ. just uh, <laughs> kind of jumped out to me. Well, he's just trying to ruin every holiday. I'm sorry. <laughs> So many interesting things happen. We got to talk just about a lot it. Of coincidences. My <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my brain's uh, not working really well right now. But yeah, that's a lot of um, weird things happening. That's like yeah, just really ironic. Yeah, yeah. Now, during the trial, the prosecution said that the intention the whole time was to murder Kristen because she was never blindfolded and she would have easily been able to identify both of them. It's also reported that Paul really had a special liking for Kristen and may have had intentions on keeping her alive longer as his personal sex slave. Um... I don't really know specifically why, but he just really, really seemed to like her. Like he, he just paid her different attention than he hmm. did to some of the other girls that they had brought home. Um, one thing that I had listened to, and this is really weird and random, I guess Paul like really liked to like make music and of course he, he had played some of his music for Kristen. Like to, Hey, you want to hear this track that I just While you're recorded? Bound. While you're bound and drunk. And, and of course she's like, yeah, kidnapped? there's nothing I'd rather do than yeah. listen to your music. <laughs> like, just so stupid. So stupid. Um, but back to Chris and they did murder Chris in the following day before Paul and Carla attended an Easter dinner at the Homolkas, you know, because they couldn't possibly go through another holiday with keeping someone alive. And during the trial, Paul and Carla again give different accounts to how she died. Carla says that Paul strangled her for seven minutes while she watched, which I don't know why you admit to the latter half of that. And then Paul says that Carla beat her with a rubber mallet 
when she tried to escape one time while Paul was out getting them food, and then she strangled her with a noose. Damn, they just, no loyalty there either. No. I wonder if that's just a tactic to, like, say it wasn't me, though. I definitely think it was because these are these are some details that um like their their different accounts come out later once they're kind of pinned against each other. Right. Okay. Now to me to me personally, it kind of seems like Carla is most likely the one that murdered her. And I'm gonna chalk that up to jealousy because Paul did have such a special liking for That's Kristen. True. So it would not shock me at all if while Paul was out one day she decided to take her out, especially if Paul had had these intentions of keeping Kristen alive as his sex exactly. slave. Exactly. She's like, mm-hmm. no, like we bring these girls in, this is what we do, and then we're done with them. You don't get to keep somebody for ever. Forever for yeah. shits and giggles. So they, they took Kristen, they washed her, and they disposed of her naked body in a ditch in Burlington that so was like 45 minutes away from St. Catherine's, and ironically enough, was just a short distance from where Leslie was buried. Oh my god! The cemetery where she was buried. They had also cut off all of Kristen's hair as a trophy and also a way to kind of make it a little bit more difficult to identify her body. She had like this really beautiful long brown hair and they cut all that off. And Kristen's body was discovered on April 30th, 1992. Now these two murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French would later be known to be, would later become to be known as the schoolgirl. I cannot talk. Oh my gosh, you guys, let's try that over again. (laughs) The murders of these two girls would become to be known as the schoolgirl murders. Oh, okay. So those two were lumped together. Yes. Okay. Police started to make a a connection between the two and even ended up exhuming Leslie's body. And the Emmy would find that she had bruises on the back of her body that resembled the blunt force bruising that Kristen French had on her body. Oh, yeah. So again, that makes sense to me as well for Paul saying that um, Carla had beat her with a rubber mallet. Unless that was part of their torture tactic when they first took Mm. Kristen back to their house. Now, um... NRP, the Niagara Regional Police, did put together a task force again at this point for them to work on the connection between these two crimes. And in July, they would release a reenactment of Kristen's abduction to jog people's memory. They put this like on the news and it generated thousands of tips, but unfortunately nothing really ever came from it. But I was like, oh, that's a really good tactic to put out there. I never thought about like... That is recreating an abduction in the place that it happened because sometimes you might see something and not really realize what you're seeing or like you're leaving the grocery store and something weird is happening in the parking lot, but you just think, oh, it's marital spat or exactly kid, you know, adult yelling at his kid or whatever, exactly, whatever it is. But yeah, that's a that's a really good uh tactic, yeah, but you know. Unfortunately, nothing really came of it. But once things kind of started tying together, now over the years, Paul and Carla had, you know, both separately and together been questioned by police on numerous accounts for different reasons. So Paul had been interviewed in connection with the Scarborough rapes. Both of them had been investigated in Tammy's death. Paul had even been 
question because he had reportedly stalked a young lady by the name of Sydney Kirshen and a couple sisters, Shanna and Carrie Patrick, I believe is how you pronounce their last name. He had been interviewed in both of those situations and nothing ever like really super came of it. I think that there was a restraining order that was placed from the um from the sisters. And then again, Paul was interviewed briefly in May of 1992 after the discovery of Kristen French. And a tip had come in that he was a likely suspect. So Mm. they decided that, um, so they interview him, but then they decide that he was an unlikely suspect, even though he had admitted that he had previously been questioned in connection with the Scarborough rapes. So I don't know how these police are coming to all these conclusions that he's an unlikely suspect. And like in this interview, he's like, oh, yeah, I was totally like brought in and and questioned in connection with the Scarborough rapist. But that's not me. But that's not me. Everything else you could have on these. Yeah. Fuck. I know. It's a lot. So weird. Yeah. Now, in December of 1992, we start to see a lot of things finally kind of start to come to a head. And I'm trying to see if I have these pictures in my phone. Um, I don't have them pulled up right this second, but you can find these. So on December 27th, 1992, Paul severely beat Carla with a flashlight. on, On her limbs, her head, and her face. She has like... Goose eggs? Huge black eyes. Like, Oof. just brutal. Not not even, like, car crash black eyes. I mean, she just looks, like, beaten to a pulp. It's really, really jarring. And she would explain away these injuries as having been in a car accident. Oh, my gosh. She had returned to work just a couple of weeks later, and her coworkers were, like, super skeptical. They're like, no, that that, right. that doesn't make sense at all. And her coworkers end up reaching out to her parents, and her parents removed her that next day from her house. And oh. she was taken to St. Catherine's General Hospital, where they documented her injuries. And at this point, Carla made a statement to Niagara, Re- Niagara Regional Police claiming being a battered spouse and ended up filing charges against Paul. Wow. I know. I'm, I mean, good. But I didn't see it coming. No, when I, I got to that part. I was like, "Wow!" First of all, good on the wow. That, yeah, that little piece was good. Mm-hmm. The coworkers calling the parents. The parents immediately taking her out, going to the hospital. Yeah, filing charges. That was a good series of events. Exactly. Okay. So I think Carla kind of maybe realized at this point, like, I got to get out of this situation. Even though, again, I don't look at Carla as a as a real victim in any of this, I, I do feel for her that he like beat the shit out of her, but I don't know. Yeah. He was difficult, super difficult, but I mean, also not surprising. Like (laughs) you can totally see someone like Paul. Oh, hundred percent doing that. You know, he's a piece of shit, such a piece of shit. And he was arrested and charged for this, but then was released on bail. Oh, I hate this guy. And then also in in December of 1992, we finally have a big DNA break. And the DNA that was submitted, that he had submitted earlier on when he was being questioned <gasps> yeah, yeah, for yeah. the Scarborough rapes, 
is finally being tested and they match it to the Scarborough rapist and immediately put him under surveillance and tap his phone. Oh, good. So years later, they finally make it through all of these samples. You okay? Yeah. Just relaxed? No, the pill's kicking in. It's Mm. giving me a headache. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. So Carla moves forward against, um, kind of turning against Paul. On February 9th, 1993, Metro Toronto Sexual Assault Squad investigators interview Carla. And these two investigators would be the exact same ones that were fronting the task force to solely focus on Kristen and Leslie's Oh, okay. Murders. The schoolgirl murders. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. And they really tried to press her for information on Paul um, because of their suspicions of him. Mm -hmm. But she kind of deflected everything and she really stuck to her story of only talking about the abuse Ah. from Paul to her. Okay. In the meantime, NRP also reopened the investigation into Tammy Homolka's death. So they had originally closed it as an accident and now they've reopened the case with kind of... Questions. Questions and people close to her kind of looking suspicious for some of these other things. So Carla's questioned by these two investigators. And after she finishes this interview, she ends up going home that night and telling her aunt and her uncle that evening that Paul was the Scarborough rapist and that they were both involved in the rapes and murders of Leslie and Kristen and the assaults and that the assaults had been videotaped. So she just totally outed herself. To her aunt and her uncle. I think she kind of maybe had a little bit of this coming to Jesus moment. And I just need to air out all of my dirty laundry. Yeah. So a couple days later on February 11th, Carla and her lawyer, George Walker, set a meeting to discuss Carla's full immunity if she cooperated with investigators. She was ready to sing like a bird. She's like, I have some information that you want full immunity but in exchange this is what i want and they kind of laughed they were like um no we are not going to agree to give you full immunity but depending on what you tell us and how valuable it is um we can probably give you a reduced sentence for your involvement in whatever you're about to tell us So on February 17th, 1993, Paul Bernardo is arrested for the murders of Leslie Mahaffey, Kristen French, and the Scarborough rapes. They also obtained a search warrant for their house, but it did have like really, really strict limitations. So when they went in, they could only remove evidence that was listed on the search warrant. They couldn't Mm. take anything else that wasn't listed there. All the videotapes that they found had to be viewed in the house. They couldn't take them out. They had to view them there. I don't know why necessarily for that. That's bizarre. I thought it was kind of weird too. And then any damage to the house had to be like kept to a minimum. They couldn't go like tearing down walls or anything like that looking for stuff. I mean, they could like maybe remove like wall outlets or if there was like a little opening, they could like peek in, but they couldn't just go in with a sledgehammer and start like really diving into anything like that. And this search, including some updated warrants, lasted a total of 71 days. Now, the only tape that they found at this point was of Paul, Carla, allegedly an American prostitute, and what we believe is the Jane Doe 
from earlier. From the beginning, yeah. And this is kind of the first time that we hear about this, like, American prostitute being involved in the situation. If this is indeed that same girl, or it could be a completely separate girl that they're trying to keep her identity under wraps. And the tape showed in graphic detail Carla performing oral sex on Jane Doe and obviously being a willing participant. They also found a journal of Paul's that detailed his crimes, plus a bunch of what they called, like, deviant sexual books. So probably books on, like, BDSM. Sure. And, you know, that whole that whole side of things. And they also found a hunting knife and handcuffs. And it said that on May 5th, 1993, Carla was offered a plea bargain of a 12-year sentence with the chance of parole after only three years, and she had a week to accept it. That's another holiday. Cinco de Mayo. Oh, shit. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. (laughs) The fuck? That's hilarious. Yeah. But what I cannot get over is that they have... Basically, at this point, they pretty much have Carla's confession of her involvement in everything. Can you repeat again what they offered her? 12 years. What? A 12-year sentence for her involvement in all of this. And so for me, a little bit, this timeline doesn't completely add up because I don't know how they would give her this deal after finding this first tape. So in early February, it's kind of said that's when they first present her with... um, a deal or, you know, like we'll give you a reduced sentence, but then they find that one tape around the 17th of February when they're doing the search. And so they have this and they have her on tape and then they still only offer her a 12 year sentence. And I just, the thing I don't understand. The only, only possible way of this is that if the cops or the DA or whatever realize that they would have never in a million years would have known of that tape without her help. And that's like the only thing that I can that's think of. That's the only thing I can think like of. Like you are you are our saving grace for even that will get justice for all these women. Right. By, you know, nailing him. But that's only because you're helping us by get yeah. I mean that's the only way. Yeah. I know. It's just when you think of like everything, it's like wow. 12 years for everything. Plus, the videos probably don't show the moment they died, right? Do they? No. So they, they don't can't pin the murders on her. They can't. That's still he said, she said, literally. Right. Okay. They just know of the deaths of Leslie and Kristen. Right. And so, you know, part of this whole plea bargain, if she didn't accept this, she would be charged with the two counts of first degree murder and one count of second degree murder and some other charges. She ended up accepting the offer on May 14th and Carla began giving her full statements to the police and just told them everything. Now, there was a lot of controversy surrounding this plea bargain and it became known as the deal with the devil. Yeah. And we will get into this. But before Carla's trial, she she wrote this long bullshit letter to her family about how sorry she was about Tammy. And just like, she said things like, I would have given my life for Tammy and all of this stuff. And it's like, what? What do you... Bitch. You, you, yeah. you killed her. 
You right. could have. She didn't have to die. You killed her. You raped her. You allowed another person to rape her. Like, what the fuck do you mean? It's just this super bullshit. Make it make sense, bitch. It doesn't. And it does not at all. Yeah. How much more do you have? Like, less than a page. Okay. How how long do you think that? Because you're at 40 minutes right now. I think this will last, like, maybe another 15 at the most. Oh, okay. I was going to say, maybe we could pull a third one out, but... No, I'm, like, okay. almost done. Okay. Yeah. So um, she said she would do anything for her sister. She or would it Yeah, she she would have given her, her life for her sister and you all You could this have, stuff. I'm sure. Mhm. You could have, but you didn't. And you said you weren't sorry about it and that you liked it. So Oh my god. No one really believes you. No, I'm sure she doesn't believe herself. No. So now we're going to get into the trials. Um, there was a, initially a publication ban that was put into place to protect oh. Paul's right to a fair trial when all of this stuff kind of coming to light. And this was for Carla's um, preliminary inquiry. This didn't really see its way through, though, because public you know, still had access to the Internet that nullified the court's order. <laughs> and also because of its proximity to the U.S., American journalists were not subject to this ban. Oh, so they put, like, what we would call here a gag order. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. was like, can't gag us. Exactly. <laughs> okay. God. He smuggled in cigarettes. We're going to tell you everything. <laughs> so Paul Bernardo's trial took place on May 6, 1993, and Paul's lawyer at the time, Ken Murray, received a call from jail from Paul. After the 71-day search of the home had um, kind of commenced, Paul told Murray where he would find more videotapes. They only had the one at this point. And so Ken Murray goes to the residence and he finds the tapes that were hidden in a ceiling light fixture in the upstairs bathroom. My guess is that they didn't find these videotapes in the first search because they couldn't go knocking down walls. Right. Or remove, you know, really removing stuff. So Murray ended up hiding the videos from investigators. He does say that he watched them and they left him traumatized. And I... Can only imagine. I mean, I've only read the transcripts of one. I couldn't imagine watching multiple videotapes, and I think that there were like roughly six that they had at at this point that he had found. Now they weren't turned over to the police until September twenty second, nineteen ninety four, when Murray resigned from being Paul's lawyer. Oh, <laughs> and Paul got a new lawyer, John Rawson, and he took over. These tapes would contain the content of the rape and assaults of Tammy Homolka, Leslie Mahaffey, and Kristen French. And once again, Carla did not appear to be a victim. She was a very willing participant in these videotapes. And Murray, his original lawyer, would end up testifying at Paul's trial about the tapes that he watched. So I thought that was crazy that they pulled him in as a witness. After what, his lawyer switched what over. What would he have to add other than maybe where they were located? I think probably that and the fact that he had um, kind of kept them concealed and he held on to them for so long. And he did say that part of the reason why he didn't hand them over earlier was because he was really frustrated about the pre-trial hearings. And he was not given the opportunity to cross-examine Carla. 
And so his client was Mm. just being made out to seem like this really, you know, awful human being. And he wasn't given the chance to really like present his case against Carla with the content from the videotapes. So, and yeah, and that would be to defend his client, Mm -hmm. right? But none of it would have stood up in court anyways because she had already accepted this plea bargain. See, it's weird because I... It would have only incriminated his client more to bring these videotapes to light without being able to cross-examine her. And as a defense attorney, he doesn't have to turn over this evidence as opposed to like the prosecution does have to reveal to the defense what they have Mm -hmm. so the defense has an opportunity to rebuttal it exactly but it doesn't work the other way around no the defense doesn't have to give the prosecution their smoking gun exactly because that would incriminate them exactly wow and Hmm. he would have had every intention of using these tapes as leverage to try to get paul a reduced sentence because of her involvement exactly but he couldn't wow that's a situation i know i thought that was so (laughs) so crazy and um so news of these tapes ended up you know making it out to the public and this is where people just absolutely lose their shit over Carla's plea bargain of only 12 years now that all this information has come to light and that's kind of where that deal with the devil title comes into play so Paul's whole trial would begin in May 1995 and it lasted four months Carla would spend a total of 17 days on the witness stand testifying against him and Paul was found guilty on all charges. He was charged with two counts of first degree murder, kidnapping, forcible confinement, aggravated sexual assault, and one count of committing committing an indignity of a human body for the dismemberment of Leslie Mahaffey. And he was sentenced to life in prison, which in Canada is roughly 20 to 25 years. Excuse me? Yeah. He would later be deemed a dangerous offender, which would make it highly unlikely that he would ever get parole. And he has been denied every opportunity to do so. Oh, so is it like life with a minimum of 20 to 25? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought it was like a maximum of 25. I was like, uh, but I get it now. Yeah. 20 to 25. And I, and I, I guess I should have clarified this and kind of found out this a little bit more specifically. I think that he probably got two life sentences for both of those first degree murders, not just one life sentence. And that's technically for the schoolgirl. Correct. Okay. Yep. And in 2000, he tried to appeal his murder convictions and he was denied. In 2006, his lawyer said that Paul had had admitted in 2005 to 10 additional sexual assaults that he had committed. And since 2013, he has been held in Millhaven Maximum Security Prison in Ontario. Now, he's still kicking? He's, to my knowledge, he is still kicking. Wow. And now, you know, Carla did serve some prison time, but her prison time was laughable at best. She did end up serving every day of her 12-year sentence, so that's all great and everything. She was never officially charged for anything in the involvement of Tammy's death. What? But Carla was supposedly held, and this created a huge uproar. Carla's, like, first part of her prison stay was really in more of, like, a woman's rehab facility than it was, like, a jail. People lost their shit when pictures ended up surfacing of Carla 
in this rehab center, she's in normal clothes, her makeup's done, her hair's done, she's in a garden, she's jumping rope, she's like doing all of these things. And there's actually this one really disturbing video or picture that I hate. And she's in like one of those backyard plastic, like, um, little playhouses for kids. And she's like holding a baby doll. And I'm like, ew, ew, I hate you so, so much. Especially after those comments she made to Paul in that videotape. So there was no reprimand. There was no, no, um, slap on the hand. Like there's no hardly. Yeah. But once these pictures came out, they they basically had to take her and put her into a normal jail. Okay, gotcha. because people were pissed, and so this prison was obviously far less bougie. It was also conjoined with a men's prison, and you know Carla still was having her fun in jail. She started a relationship with another male inmate who essentially was her new Paul Bernardo. Wait, come again? The jail, they like co they. They could see each other through a fence, gotcha. like in yard okay. time. No, they weren't. It wasn't like co-ed where they could co-mingle. Yeah, I'm like, what? I couldn't even do this in a Christian college. No. They could do that in jail? <laughs> no, they could just basically like talk to each other through the fence, which gotcha. I was really shocked gotcha, about gotcha. that. And when they would have these exchanges, you know, they would exchange notes and photos and she would even pass him her underwear through the prison fence. I'm like, I know your eye roll right now is like everything that I feel about that whole situation. And Carla was up for parole at some points in time. And it said that she was denied because of her known relationship with this inmate, because he was also such a dangerous person. And because of what she had done, they're like, no, you're not, you're not getting out. And when she was up for parole a second time, she was denied because she was deemed too likely to reoffend. She had about a third of her sentence left at this point when she was denied her second um parole Parole. okay and this is so funny this is another holiday and i'm like just realizing this on july 4th 2005 this is like so weird that's okay like two but we're at like five now we're literally at five yeah that's so weird that's weird Although it's not a Canadian holiday, it's right. an American holiday. <laughs> but you can see our fireworks from there, though. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So she was released on July 4th, 2005, and she tried to legally change her name, and her request was denied. But within a year, she did remarry, and the person she remarried was the brother of her lawyer. Like, what? This guy knew everything about her. Had to have known everything about her. And he fucking married this monster of a woman. I know. Ew. I know. No way. I was like, I mean, for her to remarry somebody who didn't know her, which at this point in time (sighs) in Canada would be highly unlikely. Yeah, but go full some idiot. Like, but he's a different kind of idiot if he knows it. A hundred percent. So, I mean, she was obviously... Just as manipulative as Paul think? to swoon somebody like that. What do you think? She's changed? The fuck she no. has? You don't change from that. Not at all. And this part just makes me sick to my core. A couple of years later, she would end up having a son. Makes, yeah, makes me want to punch her in the face. It is said that several nurses 
that were in the hospital when she was giving birth to her son refused to care for her. And I do not blame them one bit. Yeah. Not one bit. If I was a nurse. That's sad, but yeah. It is. It is sad for the baby's sake. Yep. It's not sad because of who she is. No, yeah. And I just also, like, really strongly feel that anyone that's been in prison for stuff like this should just be made sterile and they should never be able to reproduce and have children. That's just my opinion. For for the only fact that she made the statement that she is, it was her thought and want to make children for them to be abused. Exactly. I know. And she still had this desire to be a mom Ugh, and to raise like, children and she didn't just have one kid she would now end up having um three biological children oh my gosh and i feel i mean i just hope nothing bad happened to these kids a hundred percent absolutely and and as far as we know nothing has but i mean what a life going you know knowing that that's who your mom I'm I'm not even going to say that's who your mom was. That's who your mom is. Like that is her that is her identity. Those are the crimes that she committed. Like that is who she is. That's wild. She did end up changing her name really only because she got married, but she would take her middle name now as her first name, so she was known as Leanne Borde- Bordelius. Um I believe that's how you pronounce that last name. And even at one point, I mean, she's so well known. She tried to volunteer at her son's school and parents freaked the fuck out. They were like, no, this woman who has raped and been convicted of all of these things for minors. No, she is not volunteering at my child's school. If there's ever a need for an emergency PTA meeting, like this is it. Exactly. And she was banned from from uh trying to volunteer oh, for, yeah. for their event. So thank you Absolutely. to the school for laying down the hammer on that. Do no, I don't want her in sight of my children. Like at all. Not no. Absolutely not. No, I would have absolutely raised a shit fit if I was one of those parents. Um I thought this to be kind of hilarious. This is my last fun little fact for you guys wrapping up this case. Carla is heavily followed on a Facebook group in Canada. Like she can literally not go anywhere and wipe her nose without people like taking pictures of her really? and writing about it. And what it's is this, it? It's this Facebook group in Canada that posts her every move and it's like borderline harassment. Mm. But, you know, she deserves it. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I, oh man, I'm sorry that I don't remember the name of this group or if it's even still up. Oh yeah. Um, but probably something Carla Homolka. I'm sure yeah. you could search it and it would, I it would come up. I can see how it's like, oh yeah, potentially, you know, crossing that, tiptoeing that harassment line, but fuck it. She deserves it. Fuck it. She doesn't. She does not deserve it's to not... live any form of a comfortable life no, after everything that she has done. Not. She should not have just gotten twelve years either. I would have been absolutely pissed as a family member of one of the victims or something like that, or the victim that the you know the Jane Doe that was still alive. I'm like that would piss me off. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure that Jane Doe was probably sitting back watching all of this news media coverage happening and, you know, now being older and right. like kind of knowing things and being like, oh my God. And realize what would happen to her? Yeah. 
I've, I've had a hangover since then. And what I experienced no then was not a hangover. Yeah. So, um, that is the Ken and Barbie killer is the case of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Fuck them. <laughs> I know. I, this whole, this whole case just ruined me especially part one I mean obviously I can say at the end of the day I'm so glad that there was some justice and that Carla's senses finally came around to her at some point to sing like a bird to authorities about Paul and they could close all of these rape cases and these murders and have some form of resolution but I feel very confident in saying that these are probably two of the most awful human beings to have ever existed. Oh, absolutely. In human life. Thank you for covering that. I know it was difficult, but it's, um, I had not either A, heard it like that before or B, paid attention like that before, <laughs> you know? So I did not know all of those details. Um, and there are so many more details. Like I could probably, if I could have probably done a four-parter on this wow. case. There's just so much information information on these two and the the things that they did but um i also feel like at the same time you know even though we cover these types of people and stuff like that i almost don't even want to give them the time of day of like speaking their names and yeah. talking about them because they're just such horrible horrible people yeah. but and, and this is why i like doing this podcast cuz it's like you know it's it's conversations that, um, I don't know, they don't happen normally. <laughs> we have to carve time out for these types of conversations. And um, and to dig up the dirt. To yeah. like really dive in and find the nitty gritty. I mean, you could very easily Beyond like, the headlines, you know? Be, yeah, exactly. Beyond the headlines. Um, you could very like surface information cover this case, but it does the due diligence, I guess, really to the, um, to the victims victims, to let the world know how awful these people are. And they really, I mean, Paul never will, in my opinion, but really should never see the light of day. No. Outside of prison walls. Absolutely not. So part two was a little bit lighter than part one. Um, Again, if you haven't listened to part one, you just listened to part two. You're missing a huge, huge chunk of how they got there, of how they got there. (laughs) So please go back and listen. Um, And that's a wrap on that. You can destroy your research now. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to go, I don't know, meditate or something like that and totally check out. Let's go get baby snuggles. Yeah. Baby snuggles. Okay. So if you guys don't already follow us on our social medias, um, any form of Stranger Danger, True Kind Podcast, we're on Instagram, Facebook. We have our Patreon. Um, remind me the link on that again, Stranger Danger. Podcast. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Stranger Danger Podcast. Awesome. And don't be a stranger. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Yes, sir. We were just talking about American Idol, and we're both so stoked that E.M. Tongi won American Idol. We both loved Megan Danielle as well. Would have been equally as happy, but oh my gosh, what a sweet little teddy bear of a... 
young man. Yes. He is. He's so young. 18? 18? I was telling Kara that. Well, um, he had like just graduated high school. Yes. Maybe. He graduated during the visit home. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. They gave him a diploma. Um, But I was telling Kara that he needs to come out with his own flip-flop line. Because I'd buy oh, them. Oh, my God. I would absolutely buy them. Tongy thongs. Oh, my God. <sighs> we should DM them. I want 10%. Yes. I want 10% yeah. for coming up with the name. <laughs> and shout out to the podcast. We'll take that. <laughs> Thank you. Or tongs. Oh. Damn. We can do welcome. a collab. We can do a collab. He can come You're in and sit welcome. in on a video or a recording and yes. um, maybe play a little ditty. Oh, my God. I would can love that. Can you imagine? No, I would, I would be starstruck. I, no, I would be crying uncontrollably. <laughs> Every time he sings, I cry. I know, he's so sweet. And he I just, also want him to be like my best friend. Oh my God. Okay, so Please. let's do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, also surprise for me was that Wei Ani didn't make it to top three. I was equally surprised and equally not surprised. So I was they talking. They had such a good bunch. They had such a good bunch. And I, here's the thing. I was telling my mom about this because, well, I haven't watched American Idol in a long time, but we mm-hmm. like religiously watch The Voice. Oh, People okay. that do really well on that show or win are, they're either young have a great backstory where people just fall in love sure. with their character or they're a country artist. <laughs> on the voice? On the voice. Okay. Like people that do, like sure. it's not the people that have like the crazy like Broadway voice that can uh, sing in three, four, five, six different octaves. Sure. I mean, it's like, you're either like super the unique. Artist, yes. The whole artist. Yeah, okay. exactly. Like it's not always the person that has the best voice. And I mean, I love his voice, the voice, but I can even say the same thing for like Ian. Like yeah. he didn't have the most impressive voice on the show, but he had a good voice. You loved him as a person. Ugh. You loved his style of music. I loved when he played all of his Hawaiian Island yes. stuff. I'm like, oh my God, that's so up my alley. He's such a storyteller. Yeah. But Wei was amazing. She God. was. And like I powerhouse. Oh amazing. my god! Yeah, she could literally sing anything. And for me, it was this conundrum of like her speaking voice. Yes, and her singing voice. Oh my god! She it's bipolar. Whiplash, and I love <laughs> yes. the pain from it. Yeah, so so good. I want it every day. Oh so my gosh! If yeah. You, hopefully, th- I mean, this would be like four weeks after American Idol was announced. So hopefully, you didn't like. Well, or anything for you, but oh, if we did like get yeah. it together, it's been yeah. four weeks no since shit. the finale. Yeah, <laughs> I was in the ER and I had to watch it the next exactly. day, but still, right? <laughs>